great my pop. Oh, that was a good pop. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag rate my pop. <laughs> hey, this is Editing Anna. I just wanted to pop in here before the episode starts to give you guys some heads up. This episode has some medical talk that definitely verges on gross, so be careful if you're squeamish. And we also talk about things dealing with medical abuse, so if that's something that's going to bother you, this is your content warning. We love you guys listening, but take care of your own mental health first. Just maybe go listen to one of our other episodes that's more chill. So with that being said, here's our usual disclaimer. We just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. It's (laughs) mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. I figured out one of the things that's hard for me about the beginning of our podcast. Yes. It's that I'm used to, in radio, you know, you would either say good morning or good afternoon or good evening. But you never know when a person's going to be listening to this podcast, so you can't say that. That throws me off my game. Good day. Good morrow to you. <laughs> good morrow. Good morrow, listeners. Good morrow. Okay, that'll work. <laughs> I'm not real sure what a morrow is, so we could just fit it anywhere. So, yes. Well, oh, does that mean we're starting? <laughs> I think that means we're starting. Oh, hello. Sorry. Mid-gulp. Welcome once again to our podcast. Freudian sips. We should have some kind of sound effect there, but I'll put some in. We'll work on that, <laughs> would you? Like a jackpot noise or something. And here we are again, once we again. Are. We are. With our beverages. Almost every week we do this. Almost every week. What is our topic today? The topic today is something that I find very interesting, and I told Mama I was going to pull rank and make us do it this week. And it's, she did. It's Munchausen's syndrome mm-hmm. and Munchausen syndrome by proxy. And if you don't know what that is, it's okay. Keep listening to our podcast. We'll tell you. We kind of hope you don't know because what? that way there's something new it's, happening. It's, yeah, yeah. We'll be telling you something you don't know. <laughs> but the thing about this is I don't know how we're going to make this funny. I think we maybe need to like stretch the time a little bit and get a little bit toasted before we talk about <laughs> this because I'm there's not sure really how we're going to make this funny. funny. It's it's. Pretty It's pretty horrendous. It's interesting that you say that because we didn't talk about that before we started recording. And I kind of had the same feeling. And in that feeling, like, you know, there's so much of this we really shouldn't joke about. But in reality, Anna, a lot of what we talk about, we probably... That's really true. (laughs) Yeah, we've probably already crossed that line. There's some pretty serious topics when it comes to psychology. I mean, right, and like I think that is something that we'll have to walk the line on a bit is just mm-hmm. finding, I am a, a strong believer in humor. I often joke with my clients about things that maybe we shouldn't joke about, but it's about reading the room. So I hope that people listening to this don't think that when we joke about things, it's because we're taking it lightly. Mm-hmm. It's just because humor is a coping mechanism for for us. For If you've ever watched Scrubs, like, <laughs> like that's, a, yeah. that's a thing that my brother, who is a nurse, has mm-hmm. said that that's very accurate to actually working in a hospital is that kind of dark humor. So if you're listening to this now or any of our episodes in the past that, <laughs> that you like hear us joke about something and you're like, kind of poor taste, guys. Yeah, yeah. We... We agree. <laughs> we agree it's in poor taste, but we're going to keep doing it because it is something that kind of, if we put light on things and shedding light on things with humor is a good way to bring them to the public awareness also. So there's, I could keep talking about justifications for why we're probably going to joke about this, but I guess I'll shut up. No, but I, I would add to that too, that what you said is true, that we, in our family, in yes. our personal life, we deal with, in the midst of some very difficult times, we would be very tearful and very, you know, engaged in whatever the seriousness was, but then somebody would crack a joke and we'd all laugh and right. and it's a way that we handle 
in our family, not all the time, but we always have humor. Yeah. But there are moments that we're very serious. But yeah, humor has been a healing thing for our family. So I think it's getting more common to the kind of dark humor, the kind of existential bleak humor Mm -hmm. is popular, especially with like the Gen Z kids that are joking about their anxiety and depression that they have and increasing Mm -hmm. numbers and stuff like that. That is just sort of a fact of life. And because it's a fact of life, well, what else are you going to do but laugh at it? So Mm -hmm. might as well. Eh, eh, eh. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, what we're going to do is talk about Munchausen (laughs) syndrome. I said to Anna that I still call it Munchausen all the time. It's hard for me to call it by its official name. And we are going, throughout this podcast, we are going to be calling it Munchausen syndrome or Munchausen's just for continuity's sake because we're going to slip up and call it that more often than not. So we're just going to commit to it now. Right. But what's its actual name? Factitious disorder either imposed on self or imposed on other. another. And that's according to the DSM-5. Yeah, it's it's new in the DSM-5. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was called Munchausen syndrome in the other. Was it? It must have been. I mean, at some point it had to be because that's what was taught to us. Yes. I mean, not to you. It would have been before. Probably. That's weird because I've always been aware of Munchausen's. When yeah. I was in undergrad, I did a report on it. So maybe that's why I'm more mm-hmm. aware of it. But And maybe that's why you're so interested in it too. I think so. It was a very good PowerPoint mm-hmm. I did. It was an excellent PowerPoint. You're good at PowerPoints. That's oh, one thanks. of your gifts. It's You're in my skill set. <laughs> so can we start by, can uh, I ask you like where the heck did that name come from? It's uh, such a fun name. You sure can. So Munchausen Syndrome was named after a guy called Baron Munchausen, who is a fictional person. The reason it was named after him was because Baron Munchausen, the story that he is in, it was basically like a fictional autobiography and he was recounting his own just increasingly improbable exploits. So basically it was like, oh, this, I fought a 40-foot crocodile one time. And then it's like, I went to the moon one time. Mm-hmm. So he just increasingly kept getting more and more ridiculous with his claims to make other people pay attention to him and give him renown for those feats. So the reason that it's named after it is because what Munchausen syndrome basically is, is feigning a disease or an illness or even like psychological trauma to gain attention or sympathy or reassurance. It's not to gain financial things or other benefits like that. That is something else that we will mention later. Mm -hmm. This is just to gain comfort or reassurance or attention. Mm-hmm. So it can be kind of a weird line to draw, which we'll kind of talk about in a second. Right. There's a couple of weird lines there. Right. Baron von Munchausen. I'm surprised you can't say that in some sort of accent. But we have covered that German is not German's your... not my thing. Not my strong suit. Yeah. But like, remember in the third and the fourth grade when you learned about tall tales? Mm-hmm. He was a tall tale teller. Right. Say Just that sort of, three times. Sort of, <laughs> Drink yeah. another glass of wine. And I then will. Say tall tale teller. Five times. <laughs> But yeah, it's sort of one of those situations where like the big fish story mm-hmm. where they, the fish just keeps getting a little bigger until you're kind of trying to keep up with all the details and trying to tell lies to cover other lies and then you just sort of have created a mess for yourself. Right. As often with pathological lying and, and those kind of situations that one lie leads to another and soon you kind of have to keep covering your tracks. Unfortunately. Yeah. But for Munchausen, it's going to get harder to say too. It is specifically about health, that they are exaggerating about their health. Yeah, I was even surprised to see that it mentioned psychological trauma because all the Munchausen case studies kind of that I've looked at have been about physical ailments. Right, right. Which you would think that would be easier to disprove. Right. I don't know. And I know, too, that when you start to look into it and start to want to read, especially when you want to read some examples of of some case studies and such, that they very rarely, I mean, just on the general information kind of sites where you would read it, they really kind of mix them together between the self-imposed and by proxy, proxy, which would be doing it to someone else. They kind of mix them together. And sometimes they're kind of the same situation within a client where yeah, they start with Munchausen right. and then they kind of right and then they move it to a different person yeah right. so just on the surface one of my things that I struggle with 
that we were talking about is the idea of like, I don't understand how to get away with it. So can we just, where do we want to start, Anna? I would like to just start with like, what exact, what kind of things do people do? Yeah. So first of all, I do want to mention that this is different than hypochondriasis, which is uh, being a hypochondriac. That's that word. Mm -hmm. Those with Munchausen's don't actually believe they have the disease or diseases that they're claiming to have. They know that they are not being truthful, but they are very good at faking it. And so the typical... What? (laughs) What, I breathe and you... Yeah. You sound well, like I think that's that's really significant. Yeah. Because that would differentiate if there are people that just, they really do believe that they're mm-hmm. sick. And they're the ones that are in that boat where it's like, I, you know, I have, oh, I have a backache. I wonder if mm-hmm. I'm having a heart attack. Oh my gosh, I bet I have cancer. They go into right. that downward spiral negative thought thing of, and that is not uh, what we're talking about today. Right. Okay. Yeah, this is just, if there's a spiral, it's what we talked about with the lies of the, I have to use this to cover this and I have to use, well... They're finding that this symptom isn't matching up with the test, so I have to use another thing. I have to bring in another thing, so they have to do more tests, and they have to kind of keep building onto it to kind of keep running from the truth. Right, and I would say that, too, that the spiral sometimes is that they say, oh, I I had this, and I got a lot of, you know, attention Mm -hmm. from people, so if I had this, it's even more serious, then I'll get even more attention. Yeah. And so the person who usually gets involved in this is a person of low self-esteem, Generally, that is one of the one of the red flags. I Someone guess. Someone who really needs attention. Yeah, is... there there are a few because the cause itself is unknown. I'll, I'll touch on that in a second. But you mentioned like what do they do? Mm-hmm. And this is the typical kind of image of a kid who puts the thermometer against the lamp to make it go up to make it look like he has a fever. Mm. Not so, that any of us ever did anything like. No, that. and if you've ever done that, does not mean you have much as it. <laughs> Actually, that just more, means you didn't want to go to school. That's actually more malingering. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's yes. true. But that's the sort of thing they do is that they will artificially exaggerate their symptoms or they'll cause symptoms in themselves. They'll usually choose things that are kind of hard to disprove, like chronic pain is a really big one that people with Munchausen claim they have just because you can't disprove that they're having chronic pain. Same with headaches, that kind of thing. Just things that are pretty much Mm self-report. So the doctor can't say, well, I mean, they can say like, oh, we did a CT scan and nothing's showing up, but that just means I have a headache and I don't know what, it's not showing up on a CT. But you can still say you have it. Sometimes these people are really knowledgeable about medicine or they're knowledgeable specifically about the disease that they're claiming to have. And they can replicate the symptoms really well. And people will find that when they talk to them about this medical stuff, that they will be very good at talking about the symptoms. Mm -hmm. Which, again, that can be a hard line to draw with hypochondriasis because people who think they have a certain disease are going to research it. Right. So it's hard to know if that means they know a lot so they can fake it better or they know a lot because they've done a lot of research. Right. Because quite frankly, especially with technology the way we have it now, we do research on our own symptoms. We do, if we're not feeling well or something, we do look into it. And if a person is indeed struggling with a serious health issue... Many people do want to... Excuse me. <laughs> that was a good cork sound. Many people do want to kind of try to get a, a sense of control over it right. by having more information. Right. It, and that's not an unhealthy thing no, if you're actually whole, having I've a health issue. I've had a lot of... Cl- I don't know about you, but there have been clients where once we come up... I'm thinking of one in particular that we figured out after some time... She had been diagnosed with depression, but we eventually figured out that it was bipolar she was dealing with. Mm -hmm. And once we figured that out, this just relief came over her of finally knowing what she has and finally knowing how to fight it. So I think that's what drives a lot of people to do the internet searches and go on WebMD and try to figure out what's going on so they can be in control of their own fate. Mm -hmm. That's not how it is with Munchausen. With Munchausen, they research to have a better idea on how to do the con, basically. Mm-hmm. They research to know what the symptoms look like, and then they try to figure out how to replicate those symptoms or create them in themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's it's that kind of thing. And they can be so good at faking it that it can get to the point where it might take years of expensive testing, hospital stays. They could have unnecessary operations. They could have a lot of unnecessary operations. And one of the warning signs that I found was that They'll have a lot of like surgery scars, but they'll still be excited 
to engage in hospital things. Mm-hmm. So you would think someone that was really unhealthy would be very worried about going to the doctor, like, oh, God, they're going to operate on me again. But Munchausen's is typically the opposite of that. Right. So the specifically, some of the things they do will be to self-inflict symptoms on themselves. So they might use things like poison. Mm-hmm. I mean, they might poison themselves, and then that will cause symptoms that kind of mimic a sickness, and then it'll cause a whole bunch of testing and but that requires some measure of upkeep so they have to like continuously keep poisoning themselves and it requires a lot of delicacy i mean they don't want to kill themselves right they just want attention Mm -hmm. so they have to just do it enough to make symptoms but not enough to actually harm or kill themselves so that's i mean that seems like a delicate game to play so even as you're talking about it, it's obvious to see why this is a, a mental health issue. Oh, yeah. Because this is a serious, yeah. serious thing that we're talking about. One of those that makes me kind of crunch up my nose is the thought of taking laxatives to be sure that you have chronic diarrhea. To That would be a symptom. I mean, what? Think how terrible it is want- to just have diarrhea. <laughs> yeah, who would want to put Think yourself through that? Think about making <laughs> yourself do that. Yeah. I hate pooping enough that if I could take something to never make me poop again, I would take it. Oh my goodness, I don't know where to go with that. But there that. are some people who take you things should, specifically you should not poop a hate lot. Healthy pooping. Healthy pooping is an important it's part of your It's not a pleasant experience. Did you ever read that book, Everybody Poops Everybody, When You Were I know little? everybody poops. I'm saying I wish I didn't have to. I'm not embarrassed about pooping, clearly. I'm talking about it on my podcast. <laughs> It's one of those things I'd rather not have to do. <laughs> yeah, it just <laughs> takes too much time. It's gross. The life lesson is we all have things we have to do that we don't particularly enjoy. <laughs> yeah, that's I say that's my client's law. We do things we don't like to do. It's that's fine. right. And that's part of life. Oh, where was I? Oh, that was very distracting. Yeah, poop. Mm-hmm. Oh, I- this is gross. Cover oh, your ears oh, if man. you're listening to this. this and you is- Take out your earbuds because I tell you to listen with headphones. Take out your earbuds because I'm going to talk about poop for a second. Sometimes they will use poop to aggravate like wounds that they have uh-huh. to cause infection. Uh-huh. That's a thing they do. Sorry, uh-huh. everyone. If you're like listening to this, if you're eating, yeah, maybe stop that. <laughs> maybe we should put that in. Yeah, the this beginning. this episode. Hey, this is not. Probably don't want to eat with your lunch time one of the, today. No, <laughs> if you're having your lunch break, great. Like, go back, listen to one of our <laughs> other ones. Yeah, this is to not one the of our one past you, episodes. It's true. Did you find any specific? I have, uh, I have like a little chart of things that they will often do, replicating specific illnesses or specific symptoms. But a lot of them I don't really know very well, so I don't know if it's like barter syndrome. Have you ever heard of that? Is that something to do with your colon? Maybe because the method of imitation that they talk about is intake of diuretics and mm-hmm. self-induced vomiting. Mm. That would make sense that that's something that you could do that, I mean, if a person is vomiting, your first assumption is that they're ill, that right. they have a physical illness. So right. that makes sense that that would be one of their go-to things. And unfortunately, diarrhea also. Well, and Because those are things they can... That they can do pretty easily. That, right. Well, that's the thing that I was going to say is that like making yourself vomit is pretty easy, unfortunately. Right. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. Cushing syndrome? What's Cushing syndrome? See, these things all sound familiar to me. I know, I just don't know. But they will secretly give themselves steroids to imitate Cushing's. They will secretly give themselves thyroxine to imitate hyperthyroid. That makes sense, yeah. So if they can get their hands on these things Mm -hmm. that that they know will cause this reaction that looks like another thing... I mean, that's the hard part about this, too, is that that's why it leads to so much testing. Like you were saying, you know, why does this go on for so long without being detected? I mean, watch any episode of House and they'll go like, (laughs) oh, they're presenting with these symptoms. And then they'll go, "Okay, it could be this or this or this or this or this. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, "Okay, do these eight different tests. And if you have these vague symptoms that are not clearly pointing to one disease then it could cause just a whole bunch of tests that the person is going to be getting gratification out of. Right. That these doctors are giving them the attention that they would so like to have. That's why they're doing all this. Because unfortunately, even if a person is truly 
physically ill, having symptoms, anyone who's gone through that knows that frustration of having to go through tests oh, yeah. and they say, oh, we didn't find anything and you right. go through another test and... We'll have to do this other thing now. Right, and it's like, right. oh my God, I just want an answer. Right, exactly. But Munchausen's are, are looking for... They're the enjoying that. that. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're enjoying they that they don't come across the truth, mm-hmm. which is that these symptoms are not real. So I always kind of look for like percentages and stuff. Mm-hmm. The only one I could find said that in hospital populations, it's estimated that about 1% might meet that really? criteria. That seems high. It seems very high. But then it went on to say, nobody really knows because it's so hard to diagnose. Well, yeah. I mean, to me, Munchausen is encompassing. It's mm-hmm. it's something that you spend a lot of your time doing. It's You spend a lot of time in hospitals. You spend a lot of time going to different hospitals. You spend a lot of time imitating symptoms. It's not just like, oh, I'm faking a symptom this one time. Like, I guess that would be where that statistic would come in, that if they're faking a symptom, they're grouping it in with that right, category. Right. But this is more than that. This, this is, is very specific. Yeah. yeah, this is an all-encompassing thing. Mm-hmm. that it's not just like they are faking a symptom. And especially some of those could be malingering, that if they're trying to get a gain. That's right. Yeah. Okay. That's weird. That seems like a weird statistic. Well, it even says in that same article, it says, because people with this disorder tend to seek treatment at several different places. Right. And we talked about how a person with Munchausen will go to this doctor over here and, and do some things with them until maybe they feel like they're getting suspicious or just to have more input, they'll go to this doctor over here. And, and so that would confuse any effort of estimating a number. So That's what I found is that statistics are hard to come by just because of the deceptive nature of the illness Mm -hmm. that there are so many lies there are so many like hospital hopping that they can't get a good read on how many people it occurs in Mm -hmm. one statistic i found said it was more common in men than women which is interesting because i think every case study i've looked at has been a woman that is weird because i read well but what i read was munchausen the proxy one when you do it to somebody else is way higher women yeah that makes sense because that would be a mother person kind of caregiver yeah i mean it's not always a child but yeah that is weird that it's i didn't read that but you know if it was on the internet it's gotta be true true. (laughs) yeah but but that is also why it's hard to diagnose in general is just the deceptive nature of it that it can take several years and several rounds of testing to conclude there's no way you're having these symptoms And like I said, there are some symptoms that they choose that can't be really disproven, like chronic pain and stuff. Mm -hmm. They can prove that there's no source of it. But if the person's still sitting there saying, oh, I'm in pain all the time, like, what are you supposed to do with that? At what point do you say it's psychological? Right. Because you don't want to ever not believe a person when they're having issues. But the thing is, you're probably not going, as a counselor, as a therapist, you're probably not going to have a person come in and say... I'm faking my illnesses. Oh, they're what, never. You know. Oh, no, no. They're never so, going to do that. No. Yeah, that's not the way that we we find a person who has. No, usually it's that they've been referred to clinical assessment mm-hmm. after this litany of tests in a hospital. And actually, what I read was when you're the counselor working with it, you may be required to do more tests, like refer them for more medical tests just to cover bases that you think haven't been covered. And just to kind of prove to them, like, no, we covered all the bases. Let's talk about the possibility that you're faking this. Right, right. That it can kind of be like backing them into a corner, I Mm -hmm. guess, which Mm -hmm. is a harsh way to look at it, I suppose. But But in a lot of mental health issues, you come to a point with a client where, because they're not willing to accept that or admit to the truth, and you kind of get to that confrontational point where... And even then, when you confront them, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to finally say, oh, you're right, yes, you know. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, some of the things that that they do to themselves are pretty gross. Oh, do you have more? Well, the one that struck me, because I've had experience with loved ones who have lost parts like toes and feet, um, is that they sometimes will put like tight rubber bands around parts of their body to like cut the circulation off. No. To cause damage no. that way. It's, I can't even... Uh, cringing yeah. so hard I'm going to turn inside I out. know, I know. It's horrible. It's just horrible. So. Oh, I'm all sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> I 
the tension, so the tension of thinking of these things is. Oh my god, I'm so sweaty. This is maybe almost as bad as thinking about the dogs. With I, know, I was just thinking that. <laughs> this is our second. No, this is. Worse. It might be our grossest. The dogs uh, was episode. pretty bad. It's also yeah. kind of hot up here. <laughs> it's hot in the room that we're recording in, so I don't know if it's anxiety sweat or hot sweat. I just know I'm sweating. Might be that bottle of wine you're drinking there, too. The the bottle of wine is sweating. My face feels really hot. (laughs) It's because you're also drinking wine. Yeah, I think that's the first symptom. Okay. I have a symptom. My face is hot. Oh, no. Take a litany of tests to figure out why. Okay, I think, I mean, can we kind of slide into the by proxy? Because there's, okay. (laughs) No, I have symptoms. There's just so much, so much about proxy. There is a lot. I feel like there's more about proxy, which... I think it's because, well. I think it's it, easier to figure out. That's what I was going to say. I think that it's easier to find a person who's dealing with that situation because right. you're looking at the health of the child. Right. And you can watch the behavior of the caregiver. Right. You know, so. okay, And the behavior of the child, which is often more telling because they're not as good at lying usually. Right. And sometimes they don't even know they're supposed to but be let lying. But let me hop back to some yes. symptoms that if they do come in for clinical assessment, right. then these are kind of the symptoms that a counselor or a psychiatrist would look for just to see maybe they are faking it. So it would be kind of cluing them in. Okay. So dramatic or inconsistent medical history. What are you smelling? I'm smiling because I love you, Anna. <laughs> Okay. I don't you do I, I not smile very often during No, this? you smile a lot. You just can't see my it, smile I was my just talking screen. about something that was a little serious and you like were suddenly smiling. I got nervous. No, it's because I have like word for word what oh, you're okay. doing. <laughs> okay. So I'm smiling because you are so smart. Oh, you're so smart. Go girl, tell them about it. Okay, so like we kind of talked about the hospital hopping, mm-hmm. one term I found for it was doctor shopping, mm. that often they will go back and forth between different doctors or hospitals when one doctor is not playing ball, basically. So if they have a doctor that's saying, hey, we did this test and I really don't think there's anything wrong with you, they'll be like, ah, screw this, and they'll go somewhere, somewhere else. else. Yep. Whereas they might be more likely to buy that story and be willing to kind of treat them with kid gloves and say, okay, hey, we're going to take good care of you and mm-hmm. and play that game. Multiple surgery scars like we talked about. After they get a negative test, maybe they have more new symptoms, some flare-ups after they get told. Maybe they're challenging that, no, you don't have anything. Willingness or eagerness for medical tests or procedures or operations or anything like that. Problems with identity and self-esteem is one of the big ones. And that's kind of what we talked about earlier, that that low self-esteem thing is really kind of where some of that I want to be the victim and I want people to take care of me thing mm-hmm. comes in. Mm-hmm. And it's tough because they're usually unwilling to admit it. Like like you said before, they're not going to be the ones who are coming in saying, hey, I've been faking my illness. Like it's usually going to take, it's going to be a tough nut to crack. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard. But the patient role is very familiar to them and very comforting. And there are some risk factors. So there's childhood traumas if they went through that. If they are the child of ill parents and maybe they saw that happening. If they had an illness as a child that even if they're done with it now, they recognized how much attention and care they got as a result of that and they want to continue that into adulthood. Or if they have failed medical aspirations so that was when I saw a lot that they are often like they used to be in the medical field or maybe they are still in the medical field that that was the big red flag. Okay, what do you want to talk about with by proxy? Are you completely finished with imposed on self? Uh, I will probably hop back to hop it. Back. That's everything that's in my notes. Currently. I was thinking one of the things is that, you know, when you hear, when you're listening to something like this podcast about something, you know, maybe sometimes a person comes to mind, somebody that you know comes to mind. And so if you have, if there's somebody in your life that you're sitting there thinking, oh man, I think that's, that's what's going on with this person. I totally think Jimmy you know. has Munchausen syndrome. <laughs> exactly. Um, or if you're Jimmy and you're listening to this and you're like, oh shit, they're on to me. I have Munchausen syndrome. Now there's nowhere to hide. <laughs> Bonnie and Anna uncovered my ba, ba, secrets. Ba, investigative journalism. <laughs> but I was thinking that there is such a... All 12 people who listen to this podcast, you know your secret now. You 12 people, tell your 12 friends. <laughs> We're like, we're like Jesus friends. and the apostles. <laughs> Twelve people listen to us. Hey, it was okay for Jesus. It, <laughs> it worked okay out for, for him. <laughs> Look how many he has now. He grew. So years after we're gone, we will have many, many followers. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't take 2,000 years. <laughs> That's true. I don't think in 2,000 years they'll care about this. But 
I was just thinking it's such a fine balance because you don't want to accuse someone who's actually physically ill. Yeah. You know, you got to be so careful. But it's I guess it's a possibility. Okay, I'm done. Let's move on. Let's move on. Oh, is it? Okay. I think I think it's I find it more interesting, although even more disturbing. Yes. To talk about by proxy. Very much. Yeah. And I think that that's, like I said, most of the case studies I saw, maybe that's why they were mostly women, because I saw more by proxy mm-hmm. stories. Mm-hmm. So this, when I think of by proxy, I think of, okay, I'm going to do a minor spoiler for a movie that came out 20 years ago. Are you ready? Six Cents. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so if you haven't seen Six Sense yet and you don't want it ruined. Yeah, you pause the podcast now. Yeah, for everyone yeah. else, you know that Bruce Willis is I'm pretty is a sure ghost. most people have seen it. <laughs> everyone knows. <laughs> but that's not even the spoiler I was going to do. So there's a kind of a subplot where once Cole, the main character who sees ghosts, is beginning to kind of come to terms with Who's this. Who's Bruce Willis, by the way? What? Oh, no, Cole's you're talking not, about the little that's boy. That's the little kid. Sorry. I had my mind so on Bruce, Bruce Willis, Willis that I Malcolm. couldn't. <laughs> she just, she, her eyes were glazed over. I know. I wasn't really even listening to what you were saying. <laughs> she's like, I was just thinking uh-huh, of Bruce Willis. Willis. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah, Bruce Willis. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Bruce. Uh-huh. Yeah, Bruce. Okay. I mean, same, honestly. Okay. Take a deep breath and start me over. So the little boy who <laughs> little was boy. named Cole. Cole. Was okay. Been a while. Malcolm's Bruce Willis. Okay. So Cole is kind of coming to terms with the fact that he is seeing these ghosts. And Malcolm is basically like, why don't you ask him what's up and see, you know? And and so Cole meets this little girl who's like vomiting and looks really sickly. And she leads him to her funeral. And he goes and he finds this VCR. VCR. It's a tape that goes in the VCR. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that goes in the VCR. The granddaddy a of A video DVDs. recording device from the <laughs> yes. 80s. And... They play it, and it's this video that the kid made of her mom, like, putting poison in the soup that she was about to feed her. So she was feeding her. I mean, this is a kid that we come to find out was very sick for many years, and we come to find out that it was because her mom was imposing this on her, was creating these symptoms by poisoning her food, and eventually caused her death. So that is a probably the most well-known movie kind I of, know that kind yeah, of kind of an that iconic in there. example of, yeah. of Munchausen by proxy. Yeah. So this is factitious. Di- di- factitious I knew it would eventually get difficult. Disorder imposed Post on, on another. another. Yes. F D I O A. That's what is in my notes. Hell. F D I O A. Or, and these days that, you know, we have this in the category of medical child abuse. Yes. Yeah, that's what is often, and I I saw that that term gets used so the people who are perpetrating it are less likely to be like, oh, but I have this thing. Like, Mm -hmm. well, it's still abuse and we should Mm -hmm. still be prosecuting that abuse. That's right. So, yes, they they call this medical abuse, and it's when you have Munchausen syndrome, and instead of creating symptoms in yourself, you create it in someone under your care, which I think makes it much more heinous. Mm -hmm. So this is an extremely lethal form of abuse. Six to 10% mortality rate for victims of this, which is really high. I mean, I think we see these stories of kids who die as a result of abuse, like physical abuse, mm-hmm. but I think those are few and far between, even with as sensationalized as the media tends to be. But I think this was listed as the most lethal in my research. Mm-hmm. The average age that this happened. So when we talk about the disorder itself and how we diagnose it, the person who is doing the abusing is the one categorized as the one with Munchausen's by proxy. Right. The Not one, the child. Yeah, the one who is being abused is just the victim. They don't have a diagnosis. They are just the victim of abuse. Mm-hmm. So the average age of the victim was four years. About half the victims had siblings. About 25% of the known siblings were dead. Which leads me to believe that this had happened. It often, you know, once the caregiver realizes this is something they can do, they do it until they die. And then they move on to another child. And 61% of the siblings of victims also had symptoms that were very much like the ones that the victims were showing, which I thought was really interesting. I didn't dive too deep into that. But mm-hmm. but like you said, in this one, the mother was the perpetrator in 76.5% of the cases. And the father was the perpetrator in 6.7% of the cases. That's something like 86, 82%. I can do math. 82%-ish. <laughs> I don't I'm impressed. know where the other ones are. <laughs> Is that maybe like other caregivers, like grandma? Grandparents, or probably, aunt yeah. Or... And even child care providers, probably. Maybe, yeah. And it's not, it doesn't necessarily have to be a child. No, it, it could it be, be a vulnerable under, adult or, yeah, yeah. And, you know, 
someone under someone else's care. Right. Physically, yeah. Right. And it's different than other types of abuse because by proxy is premeditated and it's often unprovoked and planned instead of just a lashing out as a result of some perceived slight. So, I mean, no one who gets abused deserves to get abused. Right. But in the eyes of the abuser, they are often doing it as a result of something. They are lashing out as a result of something, either something they think the victim did wrong or something that has happened in their own lives. They come home from work and they're upset. They might lash out at their child or something or their spouse. But this is different. This is very planned out. This is very like enacting steps. This takes a while. So it's very distinct from other types of abuse in that. And it gets enabled by the unwitting medical personnel that works at the hospitals, especially when it's kids. I mean, when we're dealing with kids, I think a lot of people, I don't want to say everyone, I know there are some people who don't have this, but I think it's kind of within human nature to when we encounter a sick child or a sad child or, you know, a child who is in distress, we want to comfort them. We want Mm -hmm. to nurture them. I think it's kind of evolutionary in us i agree with that yeah Yeah. we need to protect the so i think that when these victims and their abusers come in and they are sick children Mm -hmm. that's what we see and we kind of get the blinders up a little bit Mm -hmm. we're just like we need to take care of this sick child maybe that's why there are so many case studies of by proxy is that like the abusers realize that if they have someone vulnerable in their care that that person is more likely to get more sympathy and be questioned less so they're more likely to enact it that way. I think there's probably lots of reasons and depends on the client, depends on the person. Depends on the situation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it could be as simple as they don't want to be sick themselves. Right. You know, they don't want to suffer. I don't know. It's And it's even to the point where I saw this in the by proxy section and not so much in the regular Munchausen section that when symptoms can't be explained by a normal diagnosis, doctors are more often in these cases likely to pursue rare disorders. So that allocates even more time and more resources right. to these cases right. because they... Like I said, sick kid. You want to figure out what's wrong with the sick right. kid. So you're going to spend more time on this. And the really heartbreaking part, I mean, there's a lot of heartbreaking parts Many, about yes. it. But that idea that we talk, when we talked about a person with Munchausen, that themselves, they don't mind having yet another test or another surgery. They actually kind of look forward to that. Yeah. But if you think about it, I mean, it's bad enough that this caregiver is doing things to make this child not feel well or to to be hurting but then they're also putting them through all these tests and all these surgeries and these things imagine how much a kid hates to get a shot Mm -hmm. anyway and then if they have to do it over and over for years and years it just breaks my heart yeah oh poor babies so should we talk about some examples of some um we can can i talk about some of the warning signs first please do sure Keep me on task. <laughs> I'm just going through my notes and you're I bowing to my every whim. One of these days, we're going to have to. <laughs> I'm just, when I'm just, I'm I'm just the sidekick. This. I'm good. Go uh, for it, girl. So, well, oh, first of all, so the best way to handle this is to remove the child from the parent entirely or the caregiver or the you know, vulnerable person from the caregiver. I don't want to, like you said, it's not always children. But obviously this is going to have long-term effects on the victim anyway. And often they have unhealthy views on how to get attention. Many Munchausen syndrome patients are suspected of being victims of Munchausen by proxy. Ah, that yeah. makes sense, yeah. So they may develop traumatic responses to, to medical treatment. I mean, they have lasting, it's like any other type of trauma. You know, when we go through trauma, we have lasting impact. So when they have medical abuse as a trauma, they're going to have things that are either way against medical stuff or they're going to embrace it as a form of comfort. So I know you look really sad. This is making me sad. This is very sad. So one or more medical problems that don't respond to treatment or that follow kind of an unusual course, the patient, the patient is medically knowledgeable. So we talked before about the Munchausen's syndrome person being medically knowledgeable. But in this, we're talking about, if we're talking about children, they're going to be fascinated with medical details. Because it's their life. Yeah. That's that's what they've And they're getting up. fed that by their yeah. caregiver. Right. Because often the caregiver will be feeding them these details to get them to believe the lie. Right. I always say, you know, because they're so impressionable, 
that even just saying to a child, you know, things like, you look like you have a headache. Yeah. You must have Does a headache. Does your tummy hurt? Do you yeah. have to go to the bathroom? I think your tummy must be hurting because you look like, you You know. Yeah, the amount of time I've seen, like, parents go, like, do you need to go pee-pee to their little kids? And the kid's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. <laughs> now that she mentioned it. I totally got to go pee-pee. Yeah. It's that same thing like when a little kid falls down and depending on how the parents, mm-hmm. we've talked about that, depending on how the parents react. The child's like, oh my know, God, then the yeah. kid will burst into tears. Yeah. But if you're like, ha loser, yeah. they'll if, be like, ha ha, and then they'll go, Well, play. hopefully you don't say, ha ha, loser, don't do that <laughs> to my future grandchildren. Do not dork. do that. No, you say, oh, shake it off. Remember that? Okay, oh, but shake it off. I'm also subscribed to a subreddit called Children Falling Over. And... <laughs> I'm not going to stop myself from laughing. You can laugh a little. Okay. As long as you remind them you're laughing with them and not at <laughs> you're them. You're fine. And then I'll poke my husband and be like, did you see who be totally boofed it? I think that when it's your own children, you won't laugh so much. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I don't know what we're talking about. Something well, more serious about than again. this. Um, oh, yeah. Munchausen oh, by that proxy. Oh, the patient is medically knowledgeable. But, right. I mean, also their parents will be enjoying the hospital environment and they will be kind of involved in the hospital gossip, you know what I mean? And mm. they will they will also be very knowledgeable about the disease. And the parent will be highly attentive. And so this is where this line gets really weird because if you do have a sick kid, usually the parent is going to be highly attentive. I hope so. Yeah, so it's like, okay, they're being an attentive caregiver but when it starts to become clear that these symptoms are not based in reality, then the level of high attention is going to be more of a flag. So the symptoms may vanish when the parent is not present. And this is especially true if the parent is giving them something to keep these symptoms alive. There is a family history of similar illness. Like I said, the death of a sibling is very common. The patient deteriorates when discharge is planned. So this kind of jumps back to more negative symptoms showing up in the Munchausen syndrome patient when they get a negative test or when they're going to be discharged from the hospital that they're doing things to flare that up so they will have to keep them in and keep doing tests. Right. The patient, like, so the victim, again, is overly articulate for their age regarding medical terminology, again, because they've been fed this and they've been around the hospital environment for a long time. And then repeated illness or injury or hospitalization at several different hospitals. And this goes back to the the hospital shopping or the doctor shopping that we talked about, that people who have by proxy will do the same thing as the regular Munchausen syndrome, where they will look for hospitals that are going to play ball and kind of treat their kids very well and be willing to buy into this. Mm-hmm. Okay, you want to talk about, I have, oh, should we talk about malingering first? I think that'd be a good idea. Okay. So, like we said, malingering is different than Munchausen's. Actually, malingering is not even a psychological diagnosis. Malingering is fraud, basically. Mm-hmm. Malingering is when someone is faking an illness or symptoms to gain something rather than just getting attention. So, this could be anything from financial compensation. Like I said, this is fraud. This is like if someone gets hit with a car and they say they have whiplash, but they don't. That like typical kind of sitcom wearing a neck brace thing where you don't need it (laughs) that's malingering that is faking a symptom to get a financial gain or it could be something like avoiding school or work or military service so those Mm. stories of people getting out of the exactly yeah yes or they could be trying to obtain drugs or they could be trying to mitigate criminal sentencing so there's several things that they might be wanting to gain but the fact that they want to gain something more tangible instead of just like comfort and reassurance means it's malingering instead of munchausens it's it's a fine line i was going to say that's a fine line too because if they also enjoy the attention they're getting during it right like if there's a benefit in their honor like that's right, attention right. too even if they're getting money from it well, and if they're using, again, if we go back to like the by proxy, but it's malingering, like they're using their child to, you know, let's say they, there was an episode of Shameless where, um, <laughs> Mom's been watching Shameless. I've been addicted to that terrible show, <laughs> um, where Frank, the terrible, horrible, awful father, was a rousing endorsement for the used show. Used his, yes, used his son. He was trying to gain something. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so told, and he actually told his son that he had cancer, told right. the little boy that he had cancer. So the little boy believed he had cancer, right. which is a horrible thing. But, but in that show, everything is horrible. Tangible. Right. But it had nothing to do with getting attention. For him, it was completely trying to gain something. But he used his child to do it. 
Right, but it's still fraud. Right. I mean, it's still. Right, it's still it's, not. It falls under the malingering. There's no right. such thing as malingering by proxy. It's just right. malingering. Right. It's just just fraud. I believe it's in the DSM as a V code. Ah. Which is, V codes mean nothing. If you're in the medical game at all and you deal with psychological diagnosing at all, first of all, it's awful. Just diagnosing in general, awful. But V codes, like you can't bill insurance for them or anything. They're just kind of mm-hmm. like, like I think some other V codes are like relationship issues Parents, and stuff. Parents, children, relationships yeah, 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 and stuff yeah. like that. So it's stuff that is not a diagnosis, basically. Right. Though it is things that people really struggle with. Yeah. Yes. That you should be getting counseling for. We yes, just exactly. can't tell we your just insurance. can't tell the insurance. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I have a specific one I would like to talk about. We're getting a little bit <clears throat> deep into the recording. Do we want to go into the whole story? <laughs> I um, have a lot. I went on an internet deep dive, an internet deep dive about this case. <laughs> can you can you come back to the surface for us so we don't have to go deep with you? All right. I've got like I mean, you can go like mid, mid, mid-water. Mid-water. There are a lot of examples yeah. out there of frightening, terrible, horrible Munchausen by proxy. Right. There's one that's kind of coming into the public consciousness a bit more right now because Hulu has started to come out with a show about it. It's called The Mm -hmm. Act. Mm -hmm. And it's about Dee Dee Blanchard and her disabled daughter, Gypsy Rose Blanchard. So what do you what do you know about this case? What do you do you know about it? What do you know about it? I don't know. I didn't deep dive about it. I, I was going deep. Dive. I can I can I sidestep a minute and I'm say sure. that the first person who was it was in 1981. I can't find it. Who was first diagnosed you know with it? Yeah, no, that was prosecuted. How for, many notes? Hey, how many notes do you have? Many, I only have seven pages. pages Whoa. <laughs> yeah, but see, this is why I do hard copies because when I have a hard copy, I can just go. And like really? turn the page. Mommy, when I hit have, control F. But I don't know where it is. So then I have to hit like control do my, F. Nineteen eighty one. Wait, I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning some technology. Control F is fine. And you have to like hold it down. No, hit oh, okay. Hold control, hit F. Oh my God! Welcome to our podcast, Microsoft Word Tips. <laughs> I really want to use the F word right now. Okay. Um. <laughs> Control F word. <laughs> the first woman to ever be tried Oh, for Munchausen by proxy. Her name was Priscilla Phillips in 1981. That's a fun name. Mm-hmm. 19- She's dead, right? We can make she fun was, of her. She's probably can, not dead. She's probably not dead. She was convicted in 1981. Oh, 1981. I thought yeah. I, have, I have audio dyslexia. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that would have been a long time ago. She was convicted of killing one of her two adopted children by poisoning them. That She put poison in their food. Yikes. And so, like, the, the people so around her. a lot like that Sixth Sense situation. Yeah, the people around her were all saying that she was a really good mother and, you know, she adopted these children. The little girl's name was Tia. And she was sick a lot. It started out with like ear infections and things mm-hmm. like that. But even when she was very tiny, because it was like diaper ash that wouldn't go away. But then it kind of went on to other things that were more serious. The little girl died of sodium poisoning <gasps> in 1977. So this is the first woman that was, and I'm sure there have been many since that have been. She's just giving her straight sodium. Putting Because I intake a lot of sodium. Yeah. Well, sodium poisoning. So a lot in her food. That's scary though, isn't it? That's horrible. I know, I know. But it's interesting. So this is one of the reasons that they talk about it as medical abuse rather than just like, oh, I have a sickness because she still killed her kid. And even if she does have Munchausen syndrome by proxy, that does not excuse killing her kid. Exactly. Especially when it is so premeditated and so ongoing. It's like. So what? So, okay. You want to go back to your gypsy? What's gypsy Rose uh person? Mm -hmm. About the, I mean, I didn't deep dive at all. But I, I told you before the podcast, are your fingers going numb? Yeah. Is that a symptom? I'm so sweaty. Oh. <laughs> Should I open the window so or sweaty. something? I don't know. <laughs> Should I blow on you to cool you Sorry, off? Sorry, I was having a moment and examining my fingernails and mom thought it was... She was moving thing. her fingers like she couldn't feel her fingers. <laughs> looking, looking thought she was going numb. Sometimes I just do that. Sometimes when I drink wine, I can't feel my fingertips. We're getting there. <laughs> when it's a really good wine, you can't feel your fingers. Okay. What I do know is that this poor woman, who is not really a poor woman because she did terrible things to her daughter, right. actually ended up getting murdered by her daughter. Yep. Was that like a spoiler alert? Yup. No. Actually, it's pretty, yeah. pretty, oh, pretty out there in the... 
So if you've been watching the show, that happened, you find that out like almost immediately. Mm-hmm. And I th- that's kind of why the case gained the attention that it did, the media attention, because there was this kind of twisted murder, this kind of stranger than fiction situation of this abused child murdering her mother and everyone thought this kid was sick and it's it's a crazy story and we probably won't go too far into it just because we're kind of getting getting to time but Dee Dee was a single mother she was taking care of her teenage daughter gypsy who suffered from leukemia asthma muscular dystrophy sleep apnea a lot of other chronic conditions and she was said to have the mental capacity of a seven-year-old due to brain damage so she just had, I mean, she had so much. She was in a wheelchair you all the time. It, yeah. She could only eat with a feeding tube. I mean, there was just a lot. In August 2005, Dee Dee was forced to take Gypsy and flee Hurricane Katrina. So she moved from kind of the New Orleans area to Missouri, where they eventually settled in Springfield, and they were just universally loved. I mean, this is this is a heartwarming story. This is a public interest story, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This is a single mother who fled a hurricane with her disabled daughter. I mean, the public rallied around these people. The local media was enamored with their story. The community rallied around them. They even had a Habitat for Humanity house built for them that had like a custom wheelchair ramp and and everything the public saw this heartwarming tale of this single mother who just was doting on her daughter pouring out love on her yeah yeah this like we said that highly attentive parrot that is kind of a because i did i did see like actual clips of it yeah in one of the specials that i watched well and even gypsy herself even now says that like I think one of her quotes was like, we're, we're like two shoes. Like one of us is not complete without the other. Mm. And that was something that she said often. And it helped that like Dee Dee was warm and she like doted on her daughter. And Gypsy was like this small thing with these big glasses. And she had no hair because she was doing chemo. And she had no teeth because of complications. It was like a picture perfect, like we need to take care of these people kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And then things got worse, I have in my notes. <laughs> mm-hmm. They got worse. Way worse. Yeah. So this all happened in about 2005. On June 14, 2015, troubling posts began appearing on Dee Dee's Facebook page. And it was suggesting that she had been the victim of foul play. And actually that also Gypsy had been the victim of foul play. That I, I can't remember them. And I didn't write them in my notes because they're, they're heinous. They're pretty bad. I think one of them was like, that bitch is dead. And so the neighbors who were very close to this family were calling the police and saying, oh my gosh, I think something's wrong. They're not answering their door. What's going on? So the police came over. They waited for the search warrant. They found Dee Dee's body later that night in their home. And she'd been stabbed to that. She'd been dead for several days. But even more troubling than that was that they found Gypsy's wheelchair. They found her medications. So for all intents and purposes, it looked like she had been taken. It looked like she had been abducted. So this immediately led to this huge manhunt for the disabled gypsy. And people believe that she was the victim of an abduction. And then they found her the following day in Wisconsin with her boyfriend, who she had met online, at the boyfriend's Wisconsin home. So, are you ready for this? I'm ready, I'm ready. I'm sitting on the edge of my stool. (laughs) You'll pay for the whole stool, but you'll only need the edge, (laughs) the edge, the edge. So this girl, who everyone believed to be a teenager with the mental capacity of a seven-year-old, was actually a 23-year-old adult. She suffered none of the ailments that her mother had claimed, and according to Gypsy, her mother had been forcing her to pretend to be sick. Whenever they left the house, Gypsy would be in this wheelchair, they would bring a feeding tube and an oxygen tank with them, they would just have the works. And Gypsy said that her mother used physical and psychological abuse to control her, Mm. and that she would be punished if she made any allusions to not being sick. So, so again, I say, like, I've been watching through the act, the Hulu show that's based on this story, and it's portrayed very interestingly, and from all the research that I did on it, very true to the actual story, that Gypsy really wasn't aware that she wasn't sick. She knew that she could actually walk, and she knew that she could eat solid foods if she tried them. But she, like, didn't register that that meant she wasn't sick. She actually thought she had leukemia because she said that her mother would shave her head just because she was like, oh, it's going to fall out anyway, so we might as well Mm -hmm. make it look tidy. So she Mm -hmm. would shave it. And Gypsy was really underweight, really tiny, because she was being fed through this feeding tube. She was being fed Pediasure through, like, through her mid-20s, basically. So she was really underweight. I mean, it's just, it's 
crazy what this girl went through. What would have been her her intelligence level at that point? I mean, like her mental... So it's interesting because she has, even now in like the interviews that I've read, she has the mannerisms of like her voice is, like her voice is really high and she'll talk like Mm -hmm. this. And people have even said like, do you do that intentionally? And she's like, this is just how I talk. Like that's just my voice. But Mm -hmm. so she had these mannerisms of someone very young, but she had a really rich vocabulary. She was able to really articulate herself very well. Like in several of her medical charts, it was said like she spoke very eloquently they would even say in the medical charts i think one of them was like despite her brain damage she like she has a rich vocabulary Mm -hmm. so it's like doctors were noticing this too but even i mean this is what we were talking about before about why didn't somebody figure that okay so why didn't someone along the way say this little girl has been a little girl for 20 years dude that's the saddest thing there was someone who noticed that in Mm. 2009 there was a doctor who was like this girl doesn't have anything. <laughs> she was like, uh, I think it was actually a guy in the show. In the show, it's portrayed as a woman, but I think it was actually a man mm-hmm. who was noticing like, hey, I think this might be Munchausen's by proxy. Like way back in 2009. 2009. Mm. So think how much abuse and a murder could uh-huh. have been. So the saddest thing is that he was noticing this, but he ended up not doing anything about it directly he didn't confront Didi or anything mm-hmm. because the rest of the hospital staff I mean this kid was their darling like she was in all the time and he even said in one interview that they told him to treat this family with golden gloves that's what they said well because if you worked in a hospital for any amount of time mm-hmm. although we've already covered that they would skip around but it's apparent that they were in this hospital quite a bit yeah they st- they stuck in I mean they were there for at least several years mm-hmm but so like it was hard to kind of nail down any complete medical history because Dee Dee was like, well, all the all the history, all the files got ruined in Katrina. Oh, right. So she was able to kind of put that aside and be mm-hmm. like, sorry, I can't give you a complete history. We're going to start from square one. I know. But the police got an anonymous call about the pair. So Child Welfare Services basically got an anonymous call about the pair who believed Dee Dee was perpetrating abuse on this kid. Mm-hmm. But when the police went over, they were like, yeah, everything checks out here. Good job taking care of this sick kid. Mm-hmm. And they left. It's very frustrating. It is very frustrating. So she and her boyfriend killed her mother. Yeah. Is she in prison? She is. She got 10 years for second degree murder. And her boyfriend got first-degree murder in a life sentence. I, It's so sad because, like, she met this guy online and was basically telling him her story. And this guy obviously has mental disorders of his own. Mm-hmm. Everything I saw said he was, like, a highly autistic person, but that doesn't cause you to murder people. So oh, I no. think he was obviously dealing with other stuff. Mm-hmm. But this is the person who had listened to her, and this is the person who had offered her, like, a legit solution. And it was so sad because if she had just gone to anyone else, like she was even really good friends with a neighbor. So if she had gone to this neighbor and been like, uh, my mom is is doing these things to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, once she started to get that, like, I don't have this and I don't have this and I can walk. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the interviews I saw actually brought that up. Like, why didn't you just walk around like when people were around? And she said, I had no idea what my mom do. I was scared of her. I had no idea how she would react. So, I mean, this mom had just, and she was really controlling. She would isolate this girl. I'm really surprised she got 10 years because, you know, I mean, that's, it happened out of such abuse. Yeah, but but I think, we all know how that can sometimes not matter. Yeah. Whew. So I tried to find some, like, quotes. So this neighbor girl was named Aaliyah, and Gypsy said in one interview, I couldn't trust Aaliyah because my mother was starting to put things in my head that Aaliyah wasn't my true friend and that she was a bad influence on me, so I couldn't be friends with her anymore. And she would isolate Gypsy, like Dee Dee would isolate Gypsy so much that for years she had minimal contact with her father, who had separated from the mom, like, when Gypsy was born, but who would send, like, child support and stuff regularly, every single month. And Gypsy had no idea that he was that supportive. She never really got to see him. Dee Dee would tell people that this guy was like an alcoholic and hated disabled people. And that's why they had left. I mean, it was just a constant. And that's why like in the show, it's interesting because it almost displays it as somatic disorder. So somatic disorder is hypochondriasis. 
So it almost displays it as somatic, where she actually believes this stuff. Mm-hmm. But then the more it goes on, it displays it more as like controlling and more typical kind of abuse signs that we would red flag. Basically, right, absolutely. if we had this kid in our office and right. she was talking about right. like, oh, yeah, my mom took away my computer and... And this happened and this happened and, and she never talks about my dad when I actually gets angry and, and this happens when I say mm-hmm. this. We'd be mm-hmm. like, ha, this is abuse. Yeah. And we need to hotline this. So it would it's it's tough. Oh, Gypsy told twenty twenty at some point about her mother. She was constantly seeking attention for herself because she didn't feel loved. Mm-mm. So let's make this baby girl sick so it forever needs you. Isn't that sad? It's very sad. In one instance, a neurologist doubted Gypsy's muscular dystrophy and told Dee Dee that she had been misdiagnosed. Instead of being happy, Dee Dee stormed out and refused to return to that doctor. So this goes back to that hospital hopping thing. Mm-hmm. That like, okay, if you're not going to treat me the way that I need you to treat me to play ball with this, then I'm going to go to a different doctor. Right, right. Going to go to a different hospital. Oh, Gypsy, I just kept, I went on a deep dive. <laughs> she said at one point, Gypsy said, It makes me frustrated that none of the other doctors could see that I was perfectly healthy, that my legs were not skinny like someone who was really paralyzed, that I don't need a feeding tube, stuff like that. In jail. I can't even imagine. Living like that. Having a feeding tube and, oh. I know. And being in a wheelchair. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. that seems very easy to disprove. But, like, we talked about she was scared of her mom. She was very scared, yeah. That makes sense. That's so sad. It says, in jail, Gypsy had access to tablet computers. She looked at the definition of Munchausen after hearing the word so often used to describe her situation. Her mother matched every symptom, she told. Mm. Yeah. So are you highly recommending this show? I think it's interesting. It's, I mean, they do give the disclaimer that it's fictionalized and that, you know, it's dramatized. Obviously, Mm -hmm. it's made to be engaging. The story is engaging enough. I do recommend looking up, like, the interviews with, her name is Gypsy Rose Blanchard. I recommend looking up the interviews and looking up just from her side of it. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting to see how someone who admittedly did not get out of it in the best way, but who got out of it and who lived and who is now being able to tell that story, right? being able to speak. I think it's important to give victims of any type of abuse a way to talk about that and yeah. that we need to listen to that. I mean, I think that's one of the most healing things about counseling is that people who have been abused have a place to talk about that and have a platform to say like, look how messed up this was. Look at all the awful things that happened to me. Mm-hmm. And for someone to respond to that with, yeah, that's messed up. That's horrible. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Exactly. Like, I, I think that's very powerful for people just in a one-on-one situation. But I think it's also very therapeutic if you kind of get to air that dirty laundry a little bit mm-hmm. and be like, look, everyone, this is what abuse looks like. And you guys need to be more aware of it. Because mm-hmm. I think the more that we listen to victims of abuse, the more that we will be aware of how it looks and that we will be more able to step in if we need to. That's a very good point. Thank you. I try. <laughs> I try, try to make good points every like that's once a, a week or so. <laughs> that's a really good point. Yeah. That's a good summary point. We need a summary point. Because that sounds, <laughs> yeah. It's hard to summarize this topic because right. there's a lot about yeah. it. If you but, Oh, if you are interested in it, there's a documentary about it called Mommy Dead and Dearest. That's mm-hmm. about Gypsy's story and it's based heavily on like interviews directly from her. Stuff like that. So if you're looking for something closer to what actually happened, then the documentary is probably it. But I do recommend the act. I think it's well done. I think that's it's an intriguing story and it's presented like I said all the research that I found obviously they had to fill in a lot of the blanks of how they acted within the home sure but I think it's an interesting look into a case that's pretty out of the ordinary mm-hmm. so we should do like a hey if people start donating to us on patreon we will do a deep dive on the <laughs> act and we'll break it apart <laughs> we'll do it or we won't do it if that's what you want. And or they we just won't. let us you know if you're going to Give us money donate. to shut us up. That's yes, <laughs> that, that works too. The more I mean. money you give us, the quieter we'll be. <laughs> but I do think it's cool that, that people give us ideas of what they'd like for us to talk about. Yeah, please do we, that. We kind of talked oh, about that I was going to do that at the beginning. I was going to yeah. mention the rate, review, subscribe situation. Yeah. We need people to do that. Is there anything else that we need to say about this Munchausen's? I don't have anything unless you have other stuff to add. I don't either. We usually kind of come around at the end something about self-awareness. This is a tough one to do that with. It is. um, Because it is. I mean, I think when we talk about these more rare mm -hmm. niche diagnoses that I don't think self-awareness is. I think 
the only thing I would point out for self-awareness would be, it wouldn't really be self-awareness. It would just be awareness of your environment because I think there are a lot of vulnerable people who are suffering. Even, I I mean, I'm kind of including people who are suffering from Munchausen syndrome in that. Sure. Anyone who has mental illness that's untreated. Yeah. If you have a friend who you're like, man, they seem like they're sick all the time and I'm not super Mm. sure if it's true. They seem fine. Like, again, that's kind of a hard line to draw with chronic pain, headaches, that sort of thing. But I don't know. It's it's worth keeping an eye out, I think. Right. Awareness. Yeah. Not just self-awareness today. Yeah. But just awareness. Just awareness. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. You're like, yeah, sure. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Are we Close done with this up. one? This was the one you wanted to do. You, you got to do it. Are you Are you okay with yeah, it? Yeah, I got it out of my system. Okay. Thank goodness. Yeah. Sometimes I, I just have to let Anna do it. I think it's really, I'm, I'm very interested in these like weird. Unique. Offbeat. Yeah, diagnoses that you don't hear very much. Yeah, probably won't be dealing with it much in our practices. No. Mm-mm. Okay. Okay. All right. Till next time. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate you. We do. I before I go into my whole spiel, I will say if you are listening and you do enjoy us, please let us know that by rating us, reviewing us, subscribing to us wherever you can. It really helps us, especially the ratings and reviews, help us to know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, and it helps other people to find us because the more good reviews we have, the higher we bump up those charts and the more we get recommended to other people. So it really does help other people find us. So please do that. That being said, you can find us in several places. Main place is FortyandSipsPod.com, and you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, also by the name FortyandSipsPod. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at FortyandSipsPod at gmail.com. Like I said, if you like what we're doing, I said it jokingly earlier, but really, if you do want to help us with hosting costs and stuff like that, you can find us uh, by the name FortyandSipsPod on Patreon, and you can choose to be a subscriber and a, a patron of ours. And you can listen to us on a lot of places. Wherever you're listening to us right now, leave us a review if you can. But if you want to, go to iTunes. Leave us a review on there. That helps us a lot. But we're also on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, stuff like that. Just remember to let us know if you're listening. And our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod. And it sounds like this. 